The Curious Case of the Harpley Hotel and an Evening with the Do Business Network Swapping Ghost Tales. Welcome to episode 18 of a Northern Counties Paranormal Podcast hosted by Within the Boggart Wood. Hello and welcome to the Within the Boggartwood Halloween 2023 episode. Tonight's recording is something a little different, as I'm hosting the Do Business Network After Dark event. The event will be recorded over Zoom, so I don't know what the quality of the audio will be like. Keep your fingers crossed my internet connection behaves itself and there's no gremlins in the works. So without further ado, let's join DBN and see how this goes. First of all, tonight, joining us from the Do Business Network, we've got David and Melanie. If you could both introduce yourselves, please, and just tell the listeners what the Do Business Network is about. Shall I go first, David? Yeah, go first, yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Melanie Kant. I'm director at Do Business Network. We're a business network in the northeast of England, and we support SMEs, um, by net- offering networking meetings, uh, mentoring, training, um, all sorts, really. Have I missed anything, David? <laughs> uh, masterclasses on specific oh. subjects. Masterclasses, podcasts. <laughs> That's and, another one. I miss podcasts off and as bacon well. sandwiches. Don't forget the bacon yes. sandwiches. Oh, yeah. Delicious. yeah, I think that's one thing we are famous for, isn't it? Our, um, our, our famous bacon sandwiches at our network and meetings. So we run a network and meeting once a month. It's usually the second Tuesday of the month, David? The third. Oh, the, thir- the third Tuesday of every month. <laughs> that's a good start, isn't it? Third Tuesday of the month. Yes. Uh, in, a, in and around the Derwentside area. Over to you, David. Okay, thanks, Melanie. Um, I've been with DBN eight and a half, almost nine years now, and things have really changed. First of all, we rebranded because initially we were known as Durban Side Business Network, but we discovered that that was pin, pinpointed down to one specific area of the Northeast. And because our members were doing business with each other, we thought it would be much more sensible uh, to call ourselves Do Business Network. Uh, we also rebranded, and thank you to Melanie. We also launched a new website as well with Rocket Spark, which is fabulous. Uh, so much easy to do. Um, on a daily basis, I tend to look after all the emails that flood the inbox, uh, which can be quite quite a few in a 24-hour period. And um, look after the website, emails, look after the events. Um, and I think that's about everything. Oh, we also have monthly um, online meetings at the start of the month for people who are, for people who will just have that little bit of chat uh, with other businesses, because we do understand that a lot of our members are just one person stuck in the front bedroom like I am here. Um, and it's just a bit of company to talk to other people in the same situation, to swap ideas, to brainstorm together. So it's, it's a good way and we're good value for money and very friendly yes i think we are we we have a good reputation for being quite unique well i'm not saying other networks aren't friendly they are but um that's one of the things that i ask at uh, our podcasts and they always say we are a famously friendly 
network and we pride ourselves on that don't we david we do i think also something for to mention there because we change venue from from month to month um it avoids people being cliquey and speak to the same people so every time there's always fresh blood of members and non-members there so you do you do get to know everybody and what we're up to i've just seen that mr gary scott has just joined us online from sunny spain I've lit the fire, hey, Tony. I've lit the fire for you tonight. Is I've got the fire going. Oh, I want a sleepy dog. There you go. Got the fire going for you. I thought we'd get create a bit of atmosphere. So, <laughs> is it is, is it actually cold enough for a fire, Gary? It's debatable, but yeah, it's it's cool. It's it's been a bit drizzly this morning, so you know, end of the world. You know, oh. being a bit drizzly. So, <laughs> come on, tell us what temperature it was today. But what? No, it was it was cold. It was sixteen a day. It was freezing. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually sat on a heated blanket here, so I haven't got. Oh, the- you're kidding? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a heated blanket. I've got it plugged in. <laughs> good, good. Hi, I'm Gary Scott, and uh, well, I've been involved with DBN for years. It's very dear to my heart, and uh, it is the best little business networking group in the world. Um, but really, it's about building a community of people who work together and help each other, and and share experiences such as this one. So it's a it's a it's a great great forum for it, Tony. Yeah, so saying for those <laughs> listeners, uh, episode one, uh, the very first pilot episode that we did for Boggart Wood, uh, the stories of uh, Spooky Seam. It was actually Gary himself who actually mm. submitted those. So Gary was our first <laughs> uh, listener submission for 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 the podcast. So the idea is now I think people are starting to, to gather. Um, what I thought we could do is um, anybody who does join us during the night, uh, mm-hmm. if you could send me their business names and uh, links, and I'll put them in the description on the, the, the podcast. Yeah, okay. yeah, I've got all the email addresses here. Shall we start letting people in? Because I can see Paul's been hovering for yeah. eight, nine mm-hmm. minutes. Marvelous! Look, they're all ready. They've got their got their hats and they've got their wine. What more do you want? <laughs> I've got a cup of tea. I mean, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite tame on this, so sorry. I do, I, the only the only thing is, if people join, they might have their microphones on. It usually doesn't happen by default, but if they do, you might we might hear something. But we'll just have to jump in and say, "Can you can you turn your boot on, please?" <laughs> okay, Tony. I think I think we should kick off, and I'll just keep admitting people as soon as they arrive. So if you'd like to mute yourselves, please. Well, uh, welcome to the Do Business Network After Dark Halloween 2023 event. Tonight, For just in case people aren't aware, uh, the session is being recorded. Um, as it will be converted into episode 18 of my podcast. So hopefully, after I've uh, given my uh, little chat, we can have some questions and answer sessions, but then I would love it if people would share their own weird experiences for people who will be listening to this down the line. So if anybody doesn't want to uh, appear on the podcast, uh, let me know and we can edit you out at a later date. What uh, Mel and David are going to do is going to send me a list of people who are attending and any business links, and I'll put them in the podcast description so that we've got 
using it as a bit of networking as well. If you could let me know, David, if I'm actually sharing the correct screen, that would be useful. Okay. Uh, if I can work out which one it is. Does that, does that look right, David? Yeah, that's the, on the left, the curious case of the Harpley Hotel within the Boggart Wood with your strange man on the front with his lantern. Yeah, self-portrait. So, uh... <laughs> Gary, do you want to unmute yourself? What what can yeah. you remember of it? Well, I think I think when I went, Tony, it was in its sort of last last days, really. And um, I I just remember an oldish building that was quite run down, and it was crying out for some investment. I think at the time, um, you know, I, I I think we went for Sunday lunch or something like that, and it, the food was all right, I guess. But uh, but I remember thinking this place needs a, you know needs a, an uplift, shall we say? Uh, but it was, a, a, you know, the, the typical old rambling sort of building with, from what I remember, quite high ceilings and things. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, it, you know, it was a, it was a building that was crying out for a bit of love, love and care at the time. And uh, I, I, that's the thing that stuck with me most, more than more than anything. But I think I was only there once, Tony, and it was, uh, it was a, it was a, an unloved building when I was there. Well, first of all, I'll give you a whistle-stop run through the history of the building and area. For those listening to the podcast, I'll post the relevant maps, photographs and information in the episode description on the main website. Fifteen years ago, I found that one of the issues with researching the Harpley Hotel, formerly the Harpley Corn Water Mill, is some ambiguity in the historic record between Harpley near Stanley and Harpley near Crook. So the swift historic summary only details records relating 100% to the Stanley Harpley. The earliest mention of Harpley that I could find dates to 1650, when John Southern of Harpley, a yeoman, released his equity on the land to Ralph Clavering of Newcastle. The next mention jumps forward to 1754, when coal mining southeast of Harpley was leased to Viscount Windsor, Baron Mountjoy and John Simpson of Newcastle for a period of 25 years. Then in 1768, a covenant was recorded which included a water corn mill at Harpley. During the 19th century, the mill prospered under the ownership of the Simpson family, with tenants from the Robinson and Hobson families present at the mill. The Hobsons were farmers and millers noted at the mill in the 1890 Kelly's Directory of Durham, and then again in Kelly's 1914 Directory. Moving forward to 1966, and the Harpley Zoological Society was founded, and Stanley Zoo was built on the site of Harpley Mill, gaining national zoological renown with a programme of rare Asian antelope breeding. The remains of the enclosures are still visible in the land surrounding the site, and the remnants of monkey cages were still present in one of the remaining mill buildings when I first visited in 2008. In 1973, the land registry indicated that the Harpley Zoological Society sold the land at the mill to the Urban District Council of Stanley, and by 1979 the Harpley Hotel was named as such on the Ordnance Survey mapping, occupying one of the mill buildings. The hotel changed hands a few times, and was bought by Alan Wright in 2008. Later in 2008, in conversation with Alan about the history of the site, he asked me if I was interested in ghosts and the paranormal, and proceeded to tell me of a number of oddities that both he and his staff had observed. He then asked me if I'd be interested in bringing a small team of observers into the hotel to see if we could record any of the phenomena, which he said were irregular occurrences rather than one-offs. The phenomena included... In the main corridor, staff complained of electrical issues with the lights flickering and battery-operated gadgets cutting out. Number two, gents' toilets. 
a number of guests as well as staff and the owner Alan himself had experienced someone knocking on the door of one of the cubicles when no one other than the chap undertaking his ablutions was present. A cleaner had also freaked out a little when she observed toilet rolls being rolled across the floor towards her when she was the only one present. Upper floor room 3 Guests and staff members felt uncomfortable in the room and one of the cleaners had reported the ensuite bathroom appliances moving by themselves. Number 4 The kitchens Kitchen staff had witnessed kitchen utensils moving of their own accord. Number 5 The bar area Staff had reported seeing shadow figures moving across the bar area. So as requested I brought in a small team on the 12th of September 2008 concentrating our efforts observing the areas highlighted for potential odd activity. On that first investigation we set up CCTV in the affected areas as well as remote audio recording and environmental recording equipment. The only strange thing recorded that night was audio in room 3 which sounded like rumbling machinery the sound of which was later suggested as that of a turning water wheel. Interestingly, when I tried to find the clip to play it here tonight, I found that every copy of the recording was missing from my archive and multiple backups, even to the point of no longer being present in embedded PDF files I produced at the time. On another amusing note, when setting up this PowerPoint presentation, I added in a CCTV still of the bar area, where shadow figures were said to have been seen. The, what I assume was AI, used by PowerPoint to generate auto-alt text for the image, examined the shot and produced the text. A bar with a bar and a person standing in the background. Now, this photograph has been included in the image collection, and as you can see, there is no one in the room. Now, skipping forward four years to January 2012, and the Hartley Hotel had been a victim of the recession. The hotel now closed only had Alan living in it for, as on-site security, while a buyer for the building was sought. Early in the new year, Alan got in touch reporting that almost every night the motion sensors in the dining room would go off, and in two cases the hard drives for the security CCTV had failed. He was also hearing odd noises if someone else was moving around the building, and he asked if once again I'd bring a team of observers in to see what was going on. On the 28th of January we went back in. Again setting up the CCTV in the same areas as before, accompanied by a motion sensitive trail camera in the dining room. We settled in to watch the CCTV monitor and undertake some recording experiments, and soon started to hear what sounded like movement on the upper floor. Alan had gone to bed and the camera in the corridor outside his room showed he hadn't re-emerged. Then about 11.30 we noticed the heavy fire doors in the main corridor opening and shutting seemingly by themselves accompanied by the sound of them doing just that from where we were sitting at the hub. Upon examination, nothing was found out of the ordinary, so I suggested that the trail camera should be moved to cover the doors as well. However, upon retrieving the camera, it was found to have fired a number of times, mostly with an empty room, but with one image at 11.18pm showing what appeared to be a person standing in the room with their back to the camera. You can see this on screen, and this image is also included on the episode main page that the figure is solid and appears to be wearing a modern hooded anorak style coat. Knowing that there was no one else there other than us, we tried to recreate the image using each of us in turn, and while the design of the coat was similar to both mine and John's, the dimensions and size weren't the same, meaning that very briefly a person who was not one of us had been standing in that room, with the team unaware in the adjoining room. Our further interest is that upon reviewing the CCTV of the doors opening and closing in the corridor, it was found that while the cameras had been constantly running, evidenced by us moving in and out of the shot smoothly, the doors had apparently simply not moved. 
the next day, when I came to re-examine the footage, I found that the hard drive had fried, much like Alan had reported happening to the security feed. The third and final investigation took place on the 5th of May of that same year. The motion sensors in the dining room had by this time stopped going off regularly, and Alan reported only the occasional strange noise in the building at night. We went in again with the same setup as before, but this time recorded no strange anomalies at all. The building, however, was badly degrading, with one of the investigators having what I call a Tom Hanks money pit floor and carpet experience, and the place was full of damp and moulds of various forms and unpleasantness. On screen you can see one of the photographs I took while slipping on the carpet. I've included it to demonstrate what motion blur can do to an image. The second photograph is a demonstration of my breath misting in the damp cold air, making it look like the place was full of a mysterious ghostly vapour. Due to the state of the place, and the thought that it was becoming potentially dangerous on a number of levels, all non-paranormal of course, that was the last time we visited. Does anybody have any questions? Mel? I'm just wondering what you what you'd said about the mould and, and things like that. And um, that wasn't present when the staff um used to complain about things going on. So what's what's your thoughts on that, Tony? Again, difficult one because um, members of staff, if you if you're working in a building at night, especially if you're cleaning up by yourself, people can get easily spooked. I mean, you've just got to think of um, the Concert Innovation Centre, Mel, where obviously we've got offices. Um, there's a lot of ghost stories about that place. Um, and uh, you're looking at a you know a modern office building, uh, but people get spooked if they're the last ones out and they don't like turning the lights out on the way out if in, mid- in the middle of winter if uh, you're going. So, uh, so a lot of it's psychological, but obviously because... It was that long ago. We can't talk to people about it now as to what their experiences were because obviously memory changes in time as well. So people who experienced things even 15 years ago might not have the same memory now because the, 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 the story will have changed in their heads as time goes on. It's mm-hmm. the same with any experience, any memory. But I always find it interesting where a group of people always have the same stories. I'd be interested in finding out then. I know you said you're very sceptical about things like this, but you actually were there with the team. Yeah. So what was the team's thoughts about it, about the, the figure and about the unexplained noises? I did try to get one of them basically to come on here tonight to discuss exactly that, but unfortunately he's working in Dundee, so uh, he wasn't able to uh, get his internet connection. So, uh but again, mixed response. Um, I did have team members who couldn't make it on those investigations, and one of them was determined that the figure that we had photographed had to be one of us, simple as, because he was ultra sceptic, definitely, you know, being a cynic. Um, and you've got others like, for example, Lee, who's um, got the same sort of mindset as me about such things, but. He comes from a psychological background, and um, I think he finds it one of the most fascinating places we ever investigated, simply for the, that photograph and the noises that we were all experiencing that weren't just creaks and groans of the building cool, cooling down. You could actually hear footsteps walking across the floors. So, mm-hmm. so mixed response. As I say, again, 
my experiences of it will have changed since we did that investigation back in 2008. I was a lot more believerish myself back then, but the more investigation work that I did, the more cynical I became about things. But I, th I think that's the, the name of the game if you're actually going to go in using the scientific method to uh, investigate such instances. So, mm -hmm. Gary? Hi, Tony. Thank, thanks for that. I mean, it was uh, it was fascinating. And, you know, you, 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 I don't think it has to be an old building to feel bad. And it's funny you should mention the Innovation Centre, and that's a building I've never, ever been comfortable in the minute I walk through the door. I'm really uneasy from the minute I walk through the doors there, and I can't explain it. I just want to get out as soon as I get in. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an odd thing. So I had no idea that other people felt a bit uneasy about it as well. Um, but going back to the, the photograph, I mean, what fascinated me was the amount of detail in, in the figure, even to the point where around the bottom of what appeared to be a coat, so, so you could almost see stitching going around the bottom of the coat. I mean, the, the detail was incredible. It was just a person standing there, wasn't it, basically? Yeah, exa exactly. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing unusual about it until you explained the background and the, the situation. And, you know, in your head, you think, well, you see these programs on TV and they've captured an image of something and it's always blurred and always, but this is really sharp and clear image. Um, it very much looked like the jacket of the tall guy, but obviously he co he couldn't have been on the photograph. So it was, yeah. and it and it was the wrong length. So I mean, you know, I that that's got to be so hard to explain. Well, I mean, one one of the things I didn't detail there, which I should have, is the the trap camera when it fires, it fires for ten seconds when it sees motion. So it fires one photograph, just I think it's just over a second for each shot. So basically, we had. I think it was, was it four of just a blank with just nobody there? Number five was the figure, and number six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, there's nobody there again. So that figure was there for one second. And yet, is it, and yet it's a remarkably clear image, so it's not like somebody ran into the photo and then ran out again. Where because you'd you, you'll get a blur. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Which is another reason that I put that image of me uh, slipping and taking the photograph at the same time to show how things blur. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, and, and that's in better, presumably in better lighting conditions too. So it's kind yeah. of. Can I ask another question, Tony? While we're on. So you've done quite a number of different investigations, not just at the Harperley Hotel, and you'd mentioned that your equipment had fried afterwards. Yeah. Have you experienced that before on other investigations, or was it unique to this investigation? It's unique to that one. Um, and it was also one that we, we couldn't do much about it afterwards because uh, obviously it's all self-funded. There was there was like no no funding coming in for it. So when your CCTV system fries, that's it for a while. So uh, it, it's not like now where you can pick them up for 50, 60 quid. So uh, it was quite expensive back then. Yeah. But no, I mean, we've been in lots of places that were, you know, allegedly poltergeist infested and all sorts of things and never had anything quite like that so uh, wow but... and the figure that you captured um like obviously well on here I kind of I, I can't sort of um see it as clearly clearly as probably you can but do, do you feel as if the figure is in modern day clothing 
looks to me as though it's in modern anorak, yeah. Right. So okay. uh, you can see hood, probably grey hair. Uh, difficult to tell when it's infrared, of course, So because uh, the colours go get uh, changed around. But it seems to be kind of like a, a long modern anorak, sort of mid-thigh, I would suggest, from the uh, the photograph, which obviously none of us were, were wearing. So similar cut and stitching, but mm -hmm. not the same coat. Gary? Which begs the question, how did he get on that image? You know, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it, it's almost that one of the themes that's come through this is that there's kind of an electrical thing going on, isn't there? There's something that fries CCTV, something that fries your equipment and superimposes images onto electric, onto, 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 onto plates. You know, it's kind of, you know, how on earth do you explain that? But And then you lost the audio for the first one, which you backed up many times. And you think, well... Even see even the embedded oh, versions, and because I had uh, PDF embedding software with audio, so I could send it around to people. And mm -hmm. I've I've literally gone in and looked at those files, and it just says that the audio isn't there anymore. But oh. again, for me, one of the things was the fact that we were watching on CCTV that the, the, those main heavy fire doors opening and shutting. Yet when we played it back, they didn't open. Didn't move. And would that would that could that be the wind or something like a draft that, that was opening them or are they too literally too heavy for that? There were really big heavy fire doors that had essentially been sitting in the damp for over a year. Mm -hmm. So you think when I first went in, I had to use my shoulder to just get it open. But I'm not talking just opening and shutting a little bit. I'm talking like actually swinging open and then shut shutting again. That's what we were watching. But then I say that. That when we played it back that one time before the system fried, it basically didn't show anything at all. So there's a question that it could be, you know, frame rates and whatnot with the, the CCTV, but that didn't fit with the the fact that the, the clock was running and the recording was going. And obviously when we were walking through ourselves, the footage was perfectly clear, which if it was a frame rate drop issues, it would suggest that we would have been seen as being quite like sort of jerky coming through. So Tony, just so I mean, just just thinking of those doors again. So, uh, can you remember? Was it was it a windy night when you? I mean, you know, what, can you remember what the weather conditions were like? That's a tough one. But well, I've actually written in the report that I did at the time that it was a, basically it was a clear night because what we do, what we did as well back when we did all these bits and pieces, were obviously we recorded things like that as well. Um, we had environmental data loggers which basically logged temperature and humidity. Um, so basically, you could actually tell when the humidity changed if you had breezes coming through and things like that. Um, but again, that's one of the things we never got any oddities at all in in that place at all when it came to the environmental side of things. Mel, <laughs> playing ping pong, aren't we, Gary? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just curious, what was your um, official report at the end of the investigation? What what conclusions? Well, unlike most of these other what you class as like the TV groups and entertainment groups, uh, we didn't give conclusions. Uh, we give the data that we collected, which is a little bit different. So, for example, a copy of the photographs. Couldn't give a copy of the video across because uh, obviously uh, it had gone. Uh, did give a copy of that uh, audio to Alan, but I uh, say so I lost track of Alan years ago, so I, I could, I, I'm hoping he's probably still got a copy somewhere. But basically, it was a sort of like full photographic archive. We'd done uh, scaled plans of the place, so we had everything literally mapped out. So copies of that with bits and pieces of where things had been recorded. 
But because basically whether something is, for example, the term haunted, that's very, very subjective, depending on what the person experiencing it or reading it is. Because just because things are basically unexplained now doesn't mean to say that they're not going to be explained in a couple of years' time as understanding of environment and audio comes through. So looking at the bar area, for example, that was jam-packed full of obviously electrical equipment. And could it be that these shadow figures that people were seeing were actually being generated by the infrasound affecting the eyes? Obviously, we can't ever test that now because none of that's there anymore. I just think it's quite curious that um, the reports that Alan would get and obviously experiences that he had prior to the hotel closing, uh, obviously there was quite a few years difference between then and you guys going in. So um, obviously the, the hotel was in a lot of disrepair when you went in, but it wasn't as such when um obviously when the staff was still there so uh what's your thoughts around that well i mean again it's one of those just as before is it down to psychological issues is it, were, were there actually things happening that the staff were picking up on and just reporting through one of the issues is the activity perceived seemed to change from when it was active so you're looking at places that feel uncomfortable to suddenly you've got a a room that's setting off motion sensors every night between certain times. The noises that had been heard beforehand were noises upstairs, and then all of a sudden you've got these fire doors and the ground floor opening and shutting. So again, does it suggest that you're looking at a psychological change with the people who are living in the place, which could then affect the environment? Mm-hmm. Uh, far, far stretch, I know, but again, there's, there's lots of argument these days about people's emotions being able to affect the environment around them. Depends what you believe again. Knowing what you know now, what would you do different if you had, if you could go back and do it again? Take a second CCTV system and one that was probably proofed against small electromagnetic pulses. So, uh, <laughs> did and a they, better did camera. Technology then, though. What's that? Sorry. Do you have that technology available to you then? Back then. Probably not, but say, just as you say, knowing what, if I could go back now, um, obviously I've got uh, a lot better equipment, especially when it comes to cameras and other bits and pieces. Um, but, I mean, ideally with a situation like this, you, as well as looking at the physical stuff that you can record, you need to be looking at, there's a, I keep talking about the psychological side of things with people as well, but you've also got to look at the psychology of the investigators that are there themselves because obviously they go in with preconceived ideas of what they're going to get. You've got some that like being uh, most haunted off TV, going around with the little night vision cameras, and there's a psychology attached to that. People going into a building to investigate alleged ghost activity that are already pre-programmed to actually experience things. So, Tony, Tony, can I, can I just ask a question? I mean, obviously you were brought in by Alan, uh, who'd taken on 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 the, the the hotel? I mean, presumably it was being run as a hotel before Alan t- took it on. Yeah. Um, do you know were there issues or people reporting strange things before Alan's time? I mean, you know, probably was just hearsay. But what do you know of any of that? Yeah, I mean, that some of the staff that had been kept on when he when he came and moved in said basically those the like the oddities in the bathroom and you know the, the the gents' bathroom and the noises upstairs and room three that people weren't comfortable in, and these figures in the bar, that, that had been going for a while. But I have looked for newspaper reports and other things like that because it's amazing how many of these stories get into the press. 
uh, but there's nothing. So uh, try, trying to actually trace back when the first ghost stories appeared in the place is impossible. This might be totally unrelated, but do you know anything about uh, the, the murder in that area years ago? I do know a bit just from basically what was in the newspapers, but again, it's not something I'd rather discuss because obviously there are people who could could be listening to this who actually knew, know the, the victim. So uh, it's not something I would go into. It's certainly not anything that we ever linked in with the the, the alleged activity, because obviously the alleged act, activity had begun before before then. Yeah. In theory. So. Uh... Right. Well, moving on. Has anybody got any nice stories to tell me? Well, can I ask another question then? Certainly. What, what are your thoughts on Ouija boards? My thoughts on Ouija boards, um, that they're a bit of wood with lettering on. <laughs> David? Uh, I've just written down a few things uh, on a piece of paper in front of me here. Uh, I did a Ouija board looking about <clears throat> 30 years ago, so I was very, very young at the time. And we did – stop it, Gary – and we didn't we didn't we didn't sign out of it properly while we were doing it. There were about five, there would have been five of us. And ever since that happened, we had two cats at the time, and the cat started behaving quite strangely. And all I could put it, I just thought it was just down to a change of diet with the cats on or cleaning out the litter tray often enough. So it never, never ever crossed, never ever crossed my mind. Um, but it's just one of those things, if I think back, say 30 years. I was quite open-minded about things, but then things progressed, and I think, no, that's just a load of load of rubbish. Because uh, going back to my great grandmother, she actually—sorry, I'm just reading what I've written here. She actually had a spirit guide because she did a bit of um, getting in contact with the side. It was a little Indian boy called Topsy, but it's something that's never been—it's never really been discussed. It was something that was sort of um, swept under the carpet. So I'm quite, as I say, quite sceptical nowadays. And the third one I've got down here, I went to Hayden Bridge again 30 years ago. And I went to see this lady called Yiza to have my tea leaves read. <laughs> Gary, it is true. I went to have my tea, tea leaves read, believe me. And when you pulled them on her road, you could see the row of cars. She'd sort of do six or seven cars per night. And you would have to cross her palm with silver, well, palm coin. And let's just say everything she said to me has not come true. <laughs> for the pound, but it was an experience. That's that's all it was. But my mother's into that sort of thing. She's been to sort of se not seances, sort of mediums before. And on one occasion in the local civic hall, um the woman on stage said, oh, there's a woman in the audience. She's got a son called David. And I see this son on Princess Street in Edinburgh. Now, my family has a big connection with Edinburgh because my parents went there for the wedding anniversary. And we used to go there quite a lot. Uh, and at the strangely, at the time, I was looking at going to study at Edinburgh University. But it's just to, if, she, if, if the medium says there's a David in the room, a woman with a David as a son, there's going to be at least four or five or six hands. Yep. And you just narrow it down to sort of the, you're not living in specifics. 
it's all just sort of very is very nebulous uh, what they're trying to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Until until they can basically get somebody to bite. So yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the uh... reason, yeah, the reason I asked for is um, like my mum isn't with with me anymore, but when she was, I mean, she was born in the fifties, so I w- I'm assuming it was early sixties. Her and her friend were in a friend's grand's house. And um, I don't know if I had a Ouija, Ouija board. I can't remember that, what exactly she said. But I remember um, they they were saying things, you know, somebody there. So there, were, there was her and a few friends and they were, they were in this, um, I think it was in the dining room back then when they had coal fires. And just when they said, you know, can you give us a sign of somebody there? She says, soot came flying down the chimney and filled the room full of soot so you can imagine she says they're only you know sort of 11 12 year olds screaming kids running yeah. <laughs> running out of uh running out of the dining room wherever they're at but it really really like freaked her out I mean she was telling me this obviously as an as an adult um but it was it's always a story that I remember that and another one that my gran had told me about not a Ouija board but um my granddad's side of the family always had um, uh, they had a house and the, the the garden at the front of the house, they would have a few uh, garden benches on a nice day. But there was one chair that no one ever sat on because that was the great Auntie Sarah's chair who had been long dead, but um, they would never sit there because on at times the chair, the, the small they could hear the chair creak and it was as if Auntie Sarah was sitting there. So um, obviously it's it's something they believed in, but I was yeah. just you know curious. But the the whole family knew about Great Auntie Sarah's chair. <laughs> she refused to leave the chair, Melody. I mean, <laughs> it was a nice comfy chair. Why leave it? You know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't really. I suppose I don't really believe in ghosts. I would never do the Ouija board thing. That just that just spooked me, and I don't know why. But you know, you talked about coal fires, Melody, and we we when I was. 10 we moved to uh, a temporary house while our house was being modernized so we were in a very unmodernized house and it had the coal fire and things and that was a you know okay i was only 10 or 11 but it was it was a strange house i mean there's you know for example auntie doreen arrived with patch the dog who was a lovely dog and uh, Patch wouldn't go in the house. It would stand at the back door and bark at the back door, but it would not. I mean, Patch was the easygoing dog, but it just would not come in that house. And on a night, certain nights, you would hear this noise in the house. And it was the front door, and it was literally vibrating. And the bolt on the door was rattling like that. And there was nobody on the other side rattling it. There was nothing big electrical there to set it off, but it, that was only occasionally. And some nights in the coal fires, you used to have that the bedroom door open a bit and the coal fire would be shining around like in the bedroom. But in the shadows, and this could be just imagination, there was unquestionably to me the shape of a man walking around the bedroom. You could absolutely see it. You could tell what was flames and what was what was shadows, normal shadows, and you could see a man walking around the bedroom. Absolutely. And that used to spook me out, I'll tell you now. But funny enough, while we were in that house, if we entered a competition or we we little prize draw, we won everything. It was like a really lucky house. It was bizarre. 
I, I wanted to stay there, you know, my dad was having none of it, uh, but we wanted to stay there. But it was a strange thing that there were, there were things going on. And sometimes it's a strange smell. I know that sounds weird, but it was just like a very strange smell in, 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 in the living room, like a sweet, perfumey smell. And that would come and go and come and go. And it was you just sat there and it would come and go. Nobody knows where it was, but it was kind of, kind of weird. So that, I guess, is my experience of spooky but it probably wasn't really spooky but hey you know well i mean what we could do if you want gary when we do our dbn spanish trip we can all bring a ouija board with us and just uh, no. test it out in your new house so uh... do you know what do you know what funny enough i was talking to the neighbors at the new house tony um yesterday or the day before and they know this house where we're in now. And he said, uh, they used to manage it when it was a, a, rent, a rental house. And he said, uh, I hear you knocked the two bedrooms on the top floor into one. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm sleeping. They said, I wouldn't go in there. And I said, why? He said, I just wouldn't go in there. I didn't like it. I wouldn't go up there at all. I just, that, 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 any other part of the house, I'd wander around. But I mean, I sleep there every night. It's fine. Um, but he absolutely would not go up there at all. Just didn't like it. And so he... That kind of spooks you out a bit as well when people say that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, we've experienced nothing here at all, nothing, nothing uh, yeah. that would alarm us. Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask Tony, what's your thoughts then, Tony, on when people say they walk into a room and they get, you know, that uncomfortable feeling that you just can't put your finger on and mm -hmm. gives you chills or the hair stand mm -hmm. up on the back of your neck because... That to me is like an instinct, isn't it? It's like mm -hmm. your, your your basic instincts. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fight, like a warning. It's like a warning, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a warning goes off. You, you suddenly you feel like you're in danger and you don't know why. Yeah, and I I feel like in the innovation center, unfortunately. <laughs> Several years ago, now I actually interviewed a. I know it sounds odd, but it was a building psychologist. That's what he specialised in. It was actually the effect of buildings on the psychology of people who visit. So I suppose it's, uh, I can never know how to pronounce it. Is it Feng Shui? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, you know, how things are laid out and whatnot can affect the, the psychology of people in there. And what he was explaining is that there are certain triggers in buildings that can actually essentially make people feel very uncomfortable and trigger the fight or flight response. And one of them, for example, is not being able to see a direct way out. Mm -hmm. So he said almost everybody to some degree or other basically suffers from claustrophobia, even though it's not necessarily something that's major and you don't even notice it. But if you're in a room, especially if it's an unfamiliar room and you can't see a way out, even subconsciously, it can have a massive effect and you get the whole fight or flight response coming in, depending obviously on your state of mind at the time, whether it's, you know, if you're in a state of already distress or if you're stressed or anything like that. So it could be if you've been coming to the Concert Innovation Centre and uh, you've been feeling stressed, if, if Melanie's been picking on you or something, um, <laughs> then uh, basically uh, it could just be because you when you first walk in, um, as soon as you walk into the main doors and you turn obviously left to go towards the you know, the, the inner doors, The your exit point is out of view because even if you look turn around to look, it's basically obviously the door is out of view around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be something as simple as that. 
um, could be depending on how sensitive your body is to environmental change. Your body could be picking up on basically temperature changes, humidity changes, um, could be infrasound again. Infrasound, I think, is a big one. So there is a lot of study going on by renowned scientists at the moment as the effect of infrasound on people. Um, so obviously, like modern buildings especially could have infrasound coming from even just Wi-Fi ports or other electricals or bits and pieces. I mean, I don't know much about it myself, so I'm, I'm sure people potentially who do know more could be listening to me going, he's talking a load of rubbish. Um, but obviously we do know that it can cause, as, as I mentioned before, you know, um, sort of, um, I think it's the, is it the aqueous, is it, is it aqueous humour? I can never remember what the term is in, in your eye. can cause vibrations. And, you know, when certainly when you get older, you can sometimes get floaters in your eye that basically can come, obviously that can be agitated by infrasound um, other bits and pieces. There's still a story, or some people say it could be uh, electromagnetic fields if they're really strong. For example, if you're living next to a mobile phone stand, that could be uh, sort of you could be picking up on that, and your body could be reacting against that. So again, down to you know going into a place and feeling all these spooked thoughts and sensations. It could literally just be the environment especially the modern environment in modern buildings where you basically you're surrounded by Wi-Fi and electro electromagnetic fields at all times. I Obviously, when you're out in the middle of the no of nowhere in the woods and you hear noises and whatnot, that's probably just your flight to fight to uh, get away from the rather large predator that's about to jump on you. So, uh... Actually, there's one more little thing I will add based on, about my grandma. So um, after my granddad had died, this is like a few years later, um, I was getting married. So this is before before Neva as well. And um, I've got two nieces who were bridesmaids. And uh, the bridesmaid dresses that I'd ordered needed a few little alterations. So my auntie had said, oh, if you meet us at your grandma's house with me, me nieces, Sophie and Bethany, um, um, I'll come and I'll pin the dresses and I'll make the alterations for you. And I said, all right, okay. So um, anyway, she met us at my grandma's house and our, our Bethany probably would have been about five or six at the time, um, walked in through the door. And as soon as she walked in through the door, she just went rigid. Um, and we were upstairs and we said, oh, you're going to come upstairs and try on the dress. And she would not leave the front door. Uh, she said she wasn't going upstairs. And when we asked her why, she says, because Grandma Margaret's upstairs. We, that's my mum. And she'd never met me mum. Me she wasn't born when my mum had died. And no one had said that my mum was, we'd never talked about her prior. But for some reason, she was looking up at the top of the stairs and she just went white. And she's like, I'm not going, she's like, why aren't you going upstairs? Because Grandma Margaret's upstairs. And do you know when they say that children sort of a, can tune into things there's certain things that can't be explained and uh, with her being so young at the time it just made me wonder mm, it freaked that freaked me out a little bit but at the same time I thought oh is me mum here when we're trying on dresses and you know just watching over us which is a nice thought but yeah yeah neither of you not got any little ghost stories to share I'm trying to think. I don't think I've had like an experience like this yet. Yet, I, I, yeah. I hope so. Kind of like like what my mom said. If I'm comfort in these sort of things, it's like 
as I try to like look past like the scary like side of it and think, oh, it's actually quite nice. Mm. It's nice to have like a thought that there's like something like that can exist or might exist. Mm. But like it's like the things you never know, which is like if Sweet. anything happens to me, I'll come back and haunt you. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <Sorry, laughs> that is very, very comforting. Actually, you just made just remember uh, again. It's back to me, mom. <laughs> so on the mm. night after me, mom had died, we're sitting oh. in at me mom's house in the living room. There was me, me brother, me sister, um, and I think we mom might have been there at the time. Actually, there wasn't many of us there, but we were sitting in the living room, and we lived at Rosedale, just around the corner from you, Tony, yeah. one of those fabricated houses. Anyway, we're sitting talking um, and all of a sudden the front door, we heard the front door open and close and we heard footsteps running up the stairs. So we immediately jumped up and it wasn't just, we all heard it and we went in the front door, uh, we checked the front door and there was no one there, but we went upstairs, there was nobody there and we still this day can't explain it. And it made us think, at the time it was think, is that my mum come home? I can, I can I remember when I was at um, junior school and we had a grey lady who used to sort of basically hang around the girls' toilets. Oh, yes. And you just sort of saw what waft past. Uh, but that went that went that went on for years, but she'd she'd started to appear prior to me going to the school, so it was something you're always wa- uh, warned about. Especially Some of you are expecting it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know I had a nun as a headmistress, but she was a blue nun. This was a grey nun. <laughs> I should have said blue nun. That's a dreadful drink. Um, so that's a bottle of wine, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even after I've, I've left the school years ago now, she still lives on. It's sort of become part of folklore for that particular school and the girls' toilet down on the ground floor. That's how these folk tales start, though, isn't it? So yeah. Urban myth, urban myth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, shall we call that the night? So. Uh, yes, Tony. Thank you very much. Well, well, thank you all for coming. So, thank you, Tony. Yeah, that was absolutely amazing. Thank you, Tony. It was fantastic. Yeah, thanks. So, so what I'll do is I'll I'll go through and edit all that, and that'll become episode eighteen of the podcast. So Tony, I'll let I'll let, let people know what it's done. Yeah, so we'll have a bit of fries and then we'll have to do it again. <laughs> what, what's that noise? It's a frying. I don't know. I don't know. It was hard to work out where it was coming from. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't travel over to Spain, that's for sure. I know. Yeah, yeah but no uh, noise. What did yep. we miss? I'm upset. Now I've missed something. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, like someone walking on gravel. Yeah. yeah. Nah, didn't hear that. We did. Yeah. It's probably no. whoever it is that's looking through the window at Gary and John at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting because we're on the first floor, so they're going to have to be told. <laughs> 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 oh, they could float. <laughs> <laughs>